You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Shirk. And this week, we are going to be speaking with Troy Dietrich. Troy Dietrich is, first of all, a really, really cool guy. Um, We have a great conversation. We talk about some personal life stuff, and we talk about some deer hunting stuff, and it's just an all-around great conversation with Troy. But Troy had a fantastic season. He had a lot of big changes happen this past year. Uh, He purchased his, his new home that has some land on it. And, of course, uh, the first thing on Troy's mind, like any of us, is going to be how are we going to hunt this property. And he tells a pretty cool story about having one, I believe, one encounter with a buck that he, he saw in the summer and ended up connecting with in the fall. And it is a fantastic whitetail, uh, one of those things that... It's a whitetail we dream about, and you know he had a, a fantastic hunt and, go, and breaks down that story and kind of breaks down his hunting strategy on this new property and how that's how he's learning to adapt and hunt this property and do things in an efficient way because it's a little bit different than his public land hunting that he's been doing the past few years, even though you know he shares with us that that is still in his blood, and I can really relate to Troy because I do a mixture of both myself. I hunt private land i love you know food plots habitat manipulation hunting strategy i love doing all that but there's also something about being in large monotonous woodland and trying to figure out points and vegetation types and just getting away from pressure that's just a a different element I, i find that you know i've said that time and time again the 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 north woods that i hunt it's uh, it's pulling me in closer and closer every year. Uh, you know the, the time factor is what gets me, but I, I really really enjoy the time that I do get to spend hunting at camp and and things like that. Um, you know uh, it's a it's a great conversation that I 
I don't think anybody, everybody can relate to because not only does he have a great hunt at home on his property that uh, he, he did some work to and, and had a really cool strategy in how he found this buck and went in to kill him, he turned around and went out to Ohio a few uh, few days later and <clears throat> connected his, his first time in the tree on a really nice buck in uh, in the Ohio woods public land uh, talks about the scouting he did leading up to that hunt uh, in the years past and uh, just how blessed he was so you know here we are in mid-January uh, as this episode drops tomorrow is the last day of statewide muzzleloader season and man I, I, I can't lie like this is always a little bit of a depressing time for me just because I love to hunt right up until the end. I know there's a lot of guys out there that when uh, archery season closes or when rifle season closes uh, or when the new year happens, like there's a there's a cutoff date where people, you know, a lot of guys will just be like, eh, it's over, time for getting ready for next year. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that are already out and finding some sheds and doing some scouting and trying to prepare for next year. And, like, I love that stuff too. But at the same time, like, deer season is open. I still have some tags. I I just want to I just want to be out there and I just want to hunt. I just want to hunt. That's all there is to it. And uh, hoping to connect with something on my with my muzzleloader. This final weekend uh, is going to be a hunt at camp. We got a group of guys. I think it's 10, 12, 14. I don't know how many people are going, but just another camp camaraderie hunt, making some little pushes here and there. We're supposed to be getting some snow. Hopefully that means it makes it a little bit easier to, to find a couple pockets where deer are at and uh, just have a good time with guys. And, uh, you know, I could tell, though, that it's preparation season. I've been starting to get a lot of messages about uh, food plots and how should guys approach uh, this uh, area on their property for planting a food plot. How should they go about it? What should they plant? And, and I could tell that's good. Now, I'm glad you guys are thinking about that because preparing for that stuff now makes it go a whole lot easier and a whole lot smoother uh, than waiting to the last minute. And, uh, you know, I, for those of you who listen to this and don't know, uh, for a living, I'm, uh, I'm an agronomist. I, I work with row crops and farmers. So, you know, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to soils and planting and stuff, I, I have a pretty good handle on, on how to approach that and getting good seed to soil contact and getting stuff to grow. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate that I've had a pretty good exposure around food plots for, for a long time and try to help. So, you know, if you guys are new to food plots or you just have questions or want to try something different, you know, feel free to reach out to me and I'll try to help you the best I can. You know, our, you can, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. You can do the same on Facebook. And then our email is uh, pawoodsmanpodcast at gmail.com. You know, those are great ways to get a hold of me. And I'd be, I'd be, I would love to help you and try to work through some of that stuff with you. Um, one more quick thing. Uh, the other thing that I, I always find funny is the minute that deer season closes for a lot of people, turkey season becomes the first thing on their mind a lot of time and I I used to be like that but <clears throat> you know the, the, as time goes by and life gets more chaotic uh, deer hunting has definitely been my thing I'm most passionate about 
And I typically don't really start thinking about turkeys and turkey hunting until it's really, really close to the spring season. It's a short window for me when I'm maybe a little bit fired up about chasing turkeys. But I had one of the coolest experiences in the turkey woods, uh, in the woods in general, this week while I was working. So real quick story, it was one of those things that I just have to share because you don't, get to experience something like this that often. I was pulling soil tests in a field for a farmer that I work with, and as I was finishing up this sample, I was in the corner of a, a very large field, and when I looked in the uh, in the far corner, I saw, uh, I saw a black object, and I'm like, that looks like a gobbler strutting. And sure enough, I saw him kind of move his fan and twist, and uh, yep, that's a gobbler. I'm like, man, I'm I'm pretty close to him. I was only about 50, 60 yards. He let me drive my uh, my side by side that close to him and didn't move. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I, I just start watching him, and I look, and I saw another gobbler come out of the timber, and start to square up. I was like, oh man, there's going to be a fight. This is going to be really, really cool to watch. And they started going at it and flopping each other, which I've seen Tom's fight before, and it's a, it's a cool sight. But then they started uh, then they started pecking at each other, and I saw them grabbing each other with their beaks and holding on and twisting. And I was like, man, I never saw that intensive fighting. I was like, they're so fixated. I wonder if I could get closer. So I drove my side-by-side up to them within 20 yards. Didn't have a care in the world. We're so fixated on fighting that that didn't matter. I thought, I wonder if I can get closer. So I got out, and uh, I, I watched... I kept walking and watching these birds and kept getting closer and closer and closer. At one point, they kind of saw me, and, like, the one split off and took, like, two or three steps away, but the other one was so fixated, they started going right back at it. And at first, I was, like, sneaking, and I, and I, I filmed it the whole time with my phone, but I got right up at the end. I just decided they're, they're not going to run away from me. I walked three feet away from these gobblers, that were just fighting to the death. It was absolutely crazy. And they weren't making too much noise because they were so fixated, but you hear some fighting purrs and, you know, they're flopping each other with their wings every now and then. But the their their heads were so beat up from them pecking and biting and, and everything else. And it's just a crazy video. And if you want to see some of that, I posted some of that on my Instagram as a reel. And uh, it's a it's a longer reel. It's like a three minute video, uh, but going towards the end of that video is when I'm right up close and personal with them, and it's <clears throat> it's just a really really cool cool thing. I I often wondered like uh, you know at the end they split up and kind of ran away, um, not necessarily running away from me as much as one was running away from me and the other one was chasing after, uh, trying to keep fighting. I often wondered uh, if 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 I wouldn't have intervened in any way, shape, or form, would they have just fought to the death? Um, I don't know. Maybe somebody who knows more about turkeys uh, can answer that question. But really crazy, crazy thing they see in the woods. So hopefully you're able to get out and see some cool stuff in the woods. Get out and enjoy creation. There's still hunting and trapping to be done. 
Um, I know I am going to uh, milk every ounce of hunting out of me that I can the final weekend of the extended season. I've got a plan to go out and hopefully knock a doe or two down in uh, my spot that I have in the extended portion of the state, which would be, I believe it's January 27th or January 28th. So it's it's right at the end. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll ride it out to the end and... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, get out and do some hiking and some scouting and and uh, start the start the stuff for next year. You know, there's uh, there's always work to be done on private land, and I, I've I've got some things I'd like to check out for next year on uh, on public land and, and some goals that I'd, I've set for myself. I've got cameras to pull, cameras to check that have been soaking, so uh, still still plenty to do to keep you occupied. Um, it's uh, still, I just can't believe we wait for it so long and then it just like that, boom, it's uh, it's over. But uh, hey, on that happy note, I hope you guys have a great week and thanks for tuning into this episode with Troy Dietrich. All right, we're rolling here with Troy Dietrich. Um, it is Dietrich, right? You don't you don't pronounce it any other special way, do you, Troy? Yeah, you actually pronounce it exactly right. Yep. I, I went to school with a couple Dietrichs, but like I, uh, you you spell it with with two T's and how do you yeah, spell it? Yeah, T or D I E T T E R I C H. Yeah, it's a it's a little a uh, little shorter or a little longer than some of the people that I went to school with and the way they spelled it. But Troy, um, thanks for coming on, man. I was I was looking forward to this chance to, to chat with you because uh, number one, we're, we don't live too far away. We're in a similar neck of the woods here, but uh, yeah. just chatting about your hunting season, man. You had a heck of a season. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever have another season quite like this one. <laughs> So Troy, for those listening to this uh, to this episode here, just introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, what your passion is. Yeah, I'm. Uh, my name's Troy Dietrich. I'm hail from outside of, uh, or I should say, Southeast Pennsylvania, um, and uh, my passion is bow hunting. Really, um, all kinds of bow hunting, mostly whitetail, and um, mostly hunt here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we were able to pick up a private piece this year. Uh, me and my family moved to a, a nice chunk that we that we hunt, but I also uh, spend a lot of time um, hitting the mountains and hunting some public land as well. But um, you know, just obsessed with whitetail hunting, like the rest of us. Yeah, like the rest of us. And I'm kind of curious, like, where does it stem from for you? Because I mean, everybody's got like some kind of beginning story that they were introduced to it. But I mean, what what lit the flame for you? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a maybe a different story, but just just like probably like you, I think I've heard your story before. And, and like most PA guys, my my grandparents, my grandfather hunted, my dad hunted, so we always grew up hunting. Twelve twelve years old, twelve year old was that um, coveted year that you just could not wait to turn twelve to go out hunting. You know, nowadays you can take your kids out hunting younger and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. But for us, it was like chomping at the bit until you turn twelve, so you can go um, uh, hunting. So. That's how it was for me. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but, um, through my, I don't know, through my like high school years and, and, um, even outside of high school, I, I hunted, but I wasn't, I didn't take it very seriously. Um, it wasn't really until I like, um, I kind of re- related to around the time where I really started taking my faith seriously. Honestly, um, I got saved in 2023 or uh, 23, uh, 2013. And, um, 
at that point it was like i wasn't out out raging all night long anymore and uh, i could spend more time waking up early and getting in the woods and that was like when my obsession with hunting just kind of took off so so the, um, the passion for for hunting and bow hunting definitely stemmed from family and it was probably a combination it was in your blood and yeah. uh some of it was was social pressures but um you know for, for those listening who know what troy and i are talking about and that um, and if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't mind touching a little bit about that cause that's near and dear to me, but, uh, sure. what, what it means to be, to be saved and, yeah. uh, that connection that you have afterwards in the woods, it's different than when you're just in pursuit of game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, I mean, just to give you a quick, just a quick story. My, my life just consisted of, um, just just women and partying pretty much. And that's just what I ran after the hardest from, I mean, at a very young age, you know, 15, 14 years old when I started doing that stuff. Um, and yeah, anyway, I, I kind of grew up <clears throat> knowing what, what, uh, who God was and who Jesus was, but I didn't really know him, know him. If you would have asked me then, I would have said that, you know, I'm a Christian, but what I really was, and I was living a very selfish life only for myself really. And, um, Somewhere in my young 20s, I, it just kind of hit me that I was, there was something more, you know, I needed something more and it wasn't, it wasn't being my, um, it wasn't being fulfilled by staying up and getting drunk all night long and chasing women. It was, um, it was something, it was something more than that. So, um, through a series of events, uh, in fact, I was actually chasing a girl when it led me, she led me to church. So it was kind of funny how that worked to uh, my advantage, but. I ended up getting um, hooked up with a local church and really took my relationship with Jesus seriously. Um, once I, you know, confessed my life to him and said, I can't live this life on my own anymore. And I'm, uh, I'm surrendering to you. You know, I'm here to live for you. My life changed uh, greatly for the better. Um, but getting back to what you were saying about the connection in the woods. Yeah. I mean, with a sober mind, I mean, a lot of things are a lot better with a sober mind, but even being in, in nature, um, it's just, it's like next level when you're out there in God's creation, just, uh, looking at everything that he put together for us, you know, I, I've, Troy, I really appreciate you sharing that with everybody on this. Cause, um, <clears throat> it's not always an easy thing to talk about with in front of people. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've shared my faith and I've, I've shared that that's over, over this podcast, I've shared it in person and in, in, in situations with people one-on-one and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a big thing. And it, it's something that while you can describe it and you could probably talk podcast after podcast an hour and after hour about the love that we have from, from our savior. Uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you still don't quite understand it until you feel it. Yeah. And when when you truly accept it's it's so hard to explain but like uh, I, I just wish that on everybody but man we're uh, <clears throat> you, you touched on something in your in your uh, your message there and you were talking about you were living your life being uh, selfish on your own yeah. and while I uh, while I accepted Christ and 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 trying to do everything to uh, steer from my selfish ways. Uh, we were kind of talking about it before we we hopped on. We're on the show here, you know. It's so easy to get wrapped up in selfishness in the yeah. woods. It's it's so funny how you can like have such an appreciate appreciation of creation and 
be in the woods, be connected to God in a, in a time of peace, and yet let that time also cloud your judgment and be selfish when you're in pursuit of you know what I what I typically do, and that's pursuit of a mature buck or just just my time. I, I mean, just yeah. just the pursuit of taking my time away from. I guess reality in, in my day to day life and just being in the woods and that, that pursuit and chase, like there, there's a fine line there too. And, and I know, you know, I struggle with it. And I, you talk, you talked about how, how you struggle with it too. Like it's, yeah. it's, I don't, I'm not really making a point here. It's just like, it's a real struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. It's a, it's always a, it's always a tough ba- uh, balance. And uh, I would say that if you, um, yeah, ask my wife she would probably tell you i don't get it right more than half the time so yeah mine you know. too i maybe we should introduce them sometimes they could start a support group <laughs> yeah yeah along with everyone else's wives yeah. yeah exactly maybe that maybe that's what we're missing we talk about hunting but we're really not doing everything we can to start the, the our our wife support groups maybe that would be the the connection they need to no i'm right. no, I'm, st- I'm talking selfish now we're just trying to figure out ways we can get in the woods more oh my gosh yeah <laughs> but now shifting gears, man, um, you, uh, you moved into a uh, new piece of property this year, uh, had a fantastic hunting season in Pennsylvania. And then, uh, I know you, uh, you ventured out to, uh, Ohio and, and had a heck of a hunt out there, man. So first of all, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> you, uh, <clears throat> so, so the new property I, i'm like when it comes to like private land hunting like everybody has their niche and yep. you know some people are 100 percent public land and you, you shoot this deer on public land that's the only thing that matters if you shot it on private nobody cares and right. then like I, I come from the other end where i know um private land hunting's different it's a different playing field but at the same time uh, there's, there's different variables and, and goals you can set on private land. Cause you have the ability to manage a couple of other, yeah. um, exterior influences a little bit differently. And, and maybe the bar sets a little bit higher, but the challenge is still just the same. It's just a, a different playing field. I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, yeah. like what were your, uh, g- going into this season, uh, let, let, let me no, let's back up for just a second. So we're talking about going into the season. Were you used to hunting private land before this new piece of, of property or like where, where did your passion yeah. lie before that? Yeah. Um, a little bit, but not really this, uh, caliper. Um, I grew up hunting, uh, I would actually say all, all private land, but it was always, um, your very suburban type situations, you know, if someone had 20 acres behind their house, that was, that was decent and stuff like that. Like, so where I grew up, uh, up the road from my house, uh, um, there was a church property I could hunt and then a, a neighboring property I could hunt. It was fairly decent hunting uh, growing up. I killed a few deer there, but um, quite a few deer there, but nothing ever of substantial, you know, they're just that neck of the woods just never held. I don't want to say never, but rarely, rarely held good deer. And that was only, you know, five, five miles from here where I, where I live now. But um, that's kind of how it is in these suburban areas though. Um so anyway, I, I grew up hunting private. Uh, we have a place in Bradford County, but it's um, it, it's 18 acres. So it's not, you know, it's not like it's a huge par- parcel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but about, I want to say probably about like seven or eight years ago or so, I started um, almost hunting um, at least 75% of my hunting was public land. So the last like 
five to seven years, I've been hunting almost strictly public land. I would almost never hunt any of those parcels that I had permission growing up and stuff like that. Um, mostly because the deer hunting was much better on public land. And um, so that's kind of what I've been cutting my teeth on the last five years or so. Um, buying this property was always kind of an uh, underlying dream of ours um, to own property, but I'd never, um, I never thought I would actually own a property. I have 50 acres here, so I never thought I would own a property that big. Um, it just, um, it all worked out this year and it just somehow, you know, I don't want to say God teed it up for us, but he did. I mean, we really are extremely blessed to be, be able to, um, purchase this place this year and, and make it work. Um, so getting back to that, you know, once I got this place here, it was, Un undoubtedly that I was going <laughs> to hunt this hard. Absolutely. Um, but it was kind of funny because even this year, um, before I shot my buck, I probably hunted um, public 50% of the time still because I have some places that I'm pretty invested in where, you know, there's good gear on and um, and there's just something, something a little bit different and uh, adventurous to going literally two three four miles into a, a big public land piece and and trying to kill a, a, a mature whitetail you know mm -hmm. um but as you were kind of hinting on before um owning a property it's just because there's slightly less pressure doesn't mean that there is um not a lot of neighboring pressure and that there's a lot of um work and strategy that still goes into it like i put very light pressure on my property this year i did i i tried to hunt it extremely wisely and um and i you know put some put a lot of time and effort into um managing the property this mm -hmm. summer as well putting food plots water holes hanging stands i mean you name it you know so yeah they're they're two different passions i mean two but at the end of the day it's all work it's all preparation for the season mm -hmm. and uh like i saw uh, i saw something on social media today a guy posted something would you rather shoot 150 inch buck in suburbia or 120 inch buck in the mountains yeah. and i'm like i don't think the the inches is what i'm going after at this point mm -hmm. i think what i'm going after is which 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 of those deer do I have uh, a greater story leading up to? Which have yeah. I put more work into going into that? Have I, have I run uh, three, four years of experience following this deer in suburbia and I can only catch him during this part of the season yeah. and it just so happened that I was able to connect with him this season because all these things fell together? Um, mm -hmm. what, if, uh, what if you want to compare that to saying I shot a 120-inch buck on public land during a deer drive with my family is that For the sure. same thing and right. um i have no problem with any of them and i'd shoot either right. one in any situation it's just my point like that pursuit and the chase to get you there like um yeah. that's what's important it's not a matter of did you shoot it on private did you shoot on public because i mean i know uh talking with you before like you put a lot of work in regardless mm -hmm. if it's your private or your public right yeah 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 no, no doubt i mean it wasn't like I, um, um, yeah, I mean, as I stated before, I put a ton, ton of work in and, um, and really find, found uh, way more enjoyment doing that than I, uh, than I, not that I thought I would have, but man, it's, uh, that's like, uh, a, a passion in, 
itself is like managing manning managing the land here i mean it's it's just like and it's only going to grow take it from my experience like it only yeah. gets you you only think of cook ideas up more like you're going to be sitting in your stand throughout hunting seasons and you're going to be looking at your property and you're going to be yeah. going you know this really needs to be done this way. I need to yeah. have this part of my property void of invasives and create a nice corridor, or this area is too open. It's too park-like. I need to adjust. Like, you're going to mm -hmm. do that as long as you have that property. The work is never going to be done. You're always going to be fine-tuning this and thinking yeah. that. And it's just, it's a, it's a labor of love. But, I mean, yeah, we're, we're kind of... We're kind of flirting around that a little bit. I want you to kind of dive into this. So when you got this property and you stepped on this property, like how did your mind switch um, or, or, or what were some of the first things you were looking at doing to say, this is how I got to do this to make this property hunt for me or figure out the neighboring deer? Like what, what was the start to finish process for you since you own? Yeah, um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, it was, um, I, I was able to do a lot, a lot more this year than I would have uh, imagined I was going to be able to do. I kind of, um, thought it'd be nice to eventually someday put some food plots in, you know, but I actually was able to, to figure that out this year and put some food plots in. Um, as for the timber, it's about 50, 50 timber and ag, uh, and, um, most of the timber is in an easement. So I actually cannot cut anything in the, in the timber, um, which is like, it pains me a little bit, but it's got beautiful surroundings around it where it's still very huntable, but I would like to do some TSI and stuff, but I really can't because, um, I can only cut trees that are dead and stuff like that. The previous owner sold it off to a, to a land, you know, basically a land trust, um, mm. Uh, what do you call it? Conservation easement. So, um, uh, other reasons why we were able to afford the property too, though. So, you know, you take the good with the bad, but, um, this year, I mean, really the first time I walked around it, I just knew it was uh, absolute, just, <clears throat> I almost couldn't even, um, draw up a property that's much better. Um, honestly, it's, I know it's people are probably just like, oh, this guy's just has all the luck right but but seriously it's just it's just I, I was blown away by it and just thought if i could if i could manage to get this place this is going to be some outstanding hunting but um other than that i don't know just 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 thinking about stand locations and stuff like that but it really wasn't until like the summer um when i was running trail cameras and stuff like that just trying to figure out deer movement and living here and, and seeing the deer movement too to where i was able to put a little bit better plan and and see where they're bedding and, and stuff like that but um a friend of mine is a, a farmer, so he's farming my land for me, but we worked out a deal where he's, um, I'm giving him free rent. He's planting his crops um, for, for nothing. And then he'll plant, and then he's planting my food plots and spraying them as well. So I'm buying the seed, but he's putting the, um, he's tilling it in with his equipment, spraying it and stuff like that. But um, I have about 16 acres of tillable and I have um, maybe, four-ish acres of food plot so it's not you know all of you know i'm not planting these big fields and food plots but i'm just putting these little corner food plots in and stuff like that so so that's why i was able to do that now i'm not getting any income off of the rent but or off of the um the farmer but 
it's not very high around here to begin with, so it was an easy, it was easy for me to kind of wash that out. Yeah, it's a really really unique setup there, and and I think a lot of people that own property would have the ability to do something very similar. It's just a matter of what are your goals with the property, and you know your goals are for the property or to have it for hunting, and I think that's an awesome opportunity. And food, you know, food is so important. Set it up. I'm kind of curious when you had said uh, when you got the property, you said. Um, I, I don't think I could have drew it up any better. Like it, mm-hmm. it just lays out perfect. So um, when you say that statement, I want to dig a little deeper into that. What about it specifically did it, was it just the way the topography laid or like, like what really keyed you in that you were like, this is what makes this property so good for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, besides just the location, it's a, it's a big chunk of land in a, in an area where it's, fairly residential living. Um, so obviously the deer will congregate here a little bit more, but the, but back to the, um, actual physical land. Um, yeah, it's got, um, it's got a Creek running through either side of it. Um, so there's two creeks that run, run on the, um, edges of the property. And, um, one's a, one's a fairly nice size Creek and the other one is more of a stream. Um, so that's awesome. It's got a big, big valley, a huge valley that goes down into the creek. So it's a lot of, it's like a, that's almost like park-like atmosphere. Um, it's, it's extremely beautiful, but the deer do use it as well. But it's a big, flat, open, hardwood valley. And then um, and then there's about, there's three or four main fields and they're separated. Most of them are separated by like very nice hedgerows. So like, so you have these hedgerows that these deer can run down and feel a little bit secure and then go to these different food plots at, or, or just the aglets out in the field now. And then, um, and then just some thick bedding on either side of the property as well. So um, just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. That's really cool. And so then you, you get into summer scouting, um, seeing cameras did, as you were doing your scouting, you know, I'm sure you walked the property in the off season, you had ideas and, uh, and thoughts in your head and then run, run cameras and start to confirm or deny those, uh, predetermined thoughts that you have. Uh, were the deer kind of doing what you thought? Were they doing things a little bit differently? Uh, and, and what was your, what was your inventory like? Were you surprised in the, the, the first couple card pulls throughout the summer or, you know, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, th- I think the deer were using the property um, pretty well, like I thought they would. Um, and um, let's see, I'm trying to think of anything really stands out differently. I mean, I manipulated a lot of it, not not a lot of it, but I put the food plots in um, before it was just row crops. So like after they took the weed off, it's just barren, you know, but now they have my crops to feed on after they took the weed off. And um I added, um, I added a food plot in this real brushy area. It's like a, not even a quarter acre food plot, but I hollowed that out and they started using that like crazy. Um, <clears throat> pretty much just fi- figuring out um, the bedding more was helpful for me. Um, and, um, staying out of the bedding areas too. Um, it was tempting to kind of, it's still such a new property to me. So it's very tempting to just like, want to like know every nook and cranny of it, but also in the same token, it was like, 
I don't really need to go in this extremely thick bedding because I, I know what's in there. It's just falling over trees and prior, briar patches and all kinds of stuff. So let's leave that to the deer. And, you know, sure enough, that was an excellent bedding area. Um, and then as for the, um, the card pools, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was very pleased with what I found. Um, one of the first card pools, there was, there was, um, I think it was like seven or eight two plus year old deer uh, buck on it in like in the summertime, just like, whoa, this is, you know, there's a whole like herd of, of the quote unquote mature buck. I mean, if you call it two year old mature buck or not, but, um, so that was pretty awesome. And then, um, yeah, throughout the summer, just seeing them, you know, they, I had, I held some deer, but a lot, a lot disappeared as well. So I'd say maybe 50% of the ones that I saw during the summer kind of stuck around that I saw throughout the season. But, um, but yeah, I was definitely pleased. Um, like I said, better, better, better quality deer than where I grew up, which wasn't far from here. Um, but maybe not as, not as, as heavy and as big of deer as that I hunt in the mountains and in these big parcels, clear cuts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. so the, the one you ended up wrapping your tag around, was that a deer that you had pictures of in the summertime or was he somebody that filtered in into archery season? Yeah, uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, so I ran about eight trail cameras on my property this summer all, all year long, and um, I never had him on camera. I did see him at the end of July in broad daylight walking across my field. Um, we are literally out, out back <clears throat> eating dinner with the family. And, um, and that's another thing I want to touch on, too, is that um, we use our property for recreating, too. You know, it's, it's not – I'm not like um, – we call it dance just or whatever, just like, you know, just purely whitetail, you know, that's, we use it during the summer. We cut off recreating on it, you know, uh, maybe, a maybe a month before season started yeah, or right. something like that. But other than that, I mean, we were ripping it side by side or a four wheeler or whatever around it almost daily. You know what I'm saying? We weren't mm-hmm. bombing through the bedding areas, but, but, um, they, I think they kind of got used to that a little bit. But anyway, the buck that I ended up killing, I saw him in July uh, walking across my field and uh, just just jaw dropping. Just it was, it was easily the biggest buck that I've seen um, in with with my own eyes you know, on public land. I mean, um, not you know, not in a deer farm or something like that. Um, so I couldn't believe it, but I never had him on camera, and I was expecting that. Okay, now he showed up. I'll probably get him on camera. He avoided all of my cameras. I, I don't know if he didn't live here. I don't know if he's just good at avoiding the cameras or what his deal was. But um, even the first day I saw him, I was like, don't get hung up on, on this deer. Because I've done that before. And that almost can ruin a season when you do stuff like that. Um, first year into this property, it's awesome that that big one's around. But also, um, my main objective was to kill a three-plus-year-old. doesn't really matter what size they're at. Just wanted to kill a three, three or four year old deer, um, so that, so I told myself just stick to that. So I did, and um, and um, long story short, he showed up on my camera um, end of September one time in the middle of the night, and um, so it was like okay, he's around, he's doing his rounds, but does he live here? Or doesn't he? You know, and, um, so that was cool. But again, I I told myself I'm not going to get hung up on that, and um, and then. Uh, Three days before I, no, two days before I killed him, he showed up on, on my camera. 
Um, but I didn't know it was him because I have some cell cameras. And I could just tell he was a good buck, but I didn't really have like a good glimpse of his of his rack. Um, and then and then um, I ended up killing him a couple of days later. Even when I shot him, I didn't know that it was this this giant that I saw in the summertime until I walked up to him. So it was a it was a crazy surprise and uh, just a super cool experience because um, how elusive he was. I did end up pulling the rest of my cards then, like way later in a year. And uh, found that he was on a few more of my cameras, but very, very little, you know, just here and there during October, like once mid-October. And um, and that same time frame that he was on my cell cameras, he like hit all my cameras. Like he must have just been like really circling my property. So do you kind of, did that kind of lead you to believe that the deer was not necessarily homebody to your area, but mostly just kind of cruising through? Was it, was this kind of like a transition in the pre-rut towards the rut when he would have been uh, checking out doe groups on your property and just kind of hung around in that general area near a bedding area or, or like, tell, tell me a little bit about, uh, it sounds like a, a short amount of time transpired from that cell camera picture to when you, you killed him. So kind of, right ease in a little bit on what your strategy was and how how did did you have a stand place for this you're like you know let yeah. key us in on some of those things that led you to this success yeah it's hard to even try to make that con- conclusion i like to think that he was on living on me and just being elusive but he could have been he, i mean he could be one of these backyard bucks you know that rarely leaves a you know a five acre backyard somewhere you know but um but I have some of the only food around and stuff, so I find it hard to believe that he wasn't coming to my my food and eating and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I still don't know. I, I wish I, I wish I could conclude that better, but I don't know if I just got so lucky or or the area that I killed him. The area that I killed him, I have never hunted before, um, and that's and that's where I killed him. So I almost am led to believe that he might kind of bed there. It was a very um, it was a very, um, how do I put it, unpredictable spot that you would that you would want to hunt slash kill. Um, but anyway, leading up to that, um, so I got a, that cell cam picture of him on a Thursday. Thursday, um, sometime between five and eight o'clock or something like that. And I was I took off Friday to go up hunting up north where I go. It's about an hour or two from my house. Um, so I I. I get up at the crack. I mean, to get up at two o'clock in the morning, drive up there, and then go three miles in hunting and stuff like that. And um, I rarely go up hunting uh, up there with anyone. I except uh, like Aaron, Aaron Hepler, my mm-hmm. buddy up there. I, I hunt with him a lot up there. But other than that, there's pretty much only like one or two guys that that go with me to these to these spots. Um, I asked my buddy from church. He's a pastor at my church. Actually, he has off every Friday because he's you know works for the church and. Um, He's he's into bow hunting, but he's not. He doesn't have the time, or or you know, doesn't put in the time like we would. But um, so I asked him to go, and um, he was all pumped. He was jacked. He wanted to go up with me. So long story short, Thursday night I get a picture of that buck on my property, which I I didn't know was the one I killed, but I just knew it was a darn big deer. <laughs> so I knew he was chasing doe around, literally on a hot doe that night. It was October twenty sixth or something like that. So I was like this close to canceling with my buddy and being like, hey, we're, uh, you know, why don't we just hunt my place tomorrow kind of a thing. But he was already sold on wanting to go up there. It's like, all right, let's not change plans. The truck was already packed. So left my property when he was on it 
went up north, hunted there. Um, that Friday, came home early afternoon, went to this like Harvest Fest thing with my family at, at my parents' church Friday night. Saturday, Friday night, I still didn't know where I was going to set up on Friday, on Saturday morning. It was a north wind, which is really rare for this um, area. Um, not really rare, but it's it doesn't hunt very good for my property to be mm. a north wind. So I had very limited spots. I do have maybe five or six presets up. Um, and uh, one of them was um, one of them was very close to my house, and I haven't even sat there yet. But it would have been a very quick, easy setup. So I was kind of thinking that that would have been a, a virgin set for this north wind, and uh, I think it would have been a good rut fall. Um, and then the other one was um, at the tail end of my property, and um, where where I never hunted. And that morning I woke up and I still didn't know where I was going to sit. And I'm like pretty pretty organized with that stuff, like. Before I fall asleep the night before, I have to like know exactly what I'm doing, and I still didn't. So that morning, I was uh, when I was um, just doing my morning routine, my devos and stuff. I was so tired from the night, be- the day before. Woke up so early and stuff like that, and um, I was just kind of wrestling with where I was going to go. I, I literally almost was like debating on do I even go out? Just do I crawl back into my bed? But I was like, dude, it's it's end of October. Weather's perfect. Mm-hmm. Like. I would have not, I would have never did that, but it was, it was in the back of my mind, sure. you know, but anyway, there was only a couple spots that set up good for a North wind. So, um, so this, this spot that I ended up killing them, um, I kind of did a, um, uh, different style access to it for my property. I, I rode my pedal bike down my road and then cut into my property and then, um, and got into where I was, it was set up for him. Um, so this was a pre-hung set, but you just took a different access to this stand. No, not a pre-hung set. I don't have any stands in this in this okay. area. So I, I I would say more than fifty percent of the time, I'm just taking my saddle out, I'm just climbing the tree. Okay, set, just mobile hunting my 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 property. Um, I was gonna set in the preset um, behind my house because it was real quick and easy. It was kind of the easy way out, and. Um, I was kind of running late, so I even got set up a little bit after, like, first light. You know, I'd like to film my stuff and whatnot, so it takes a while to get all set up. But, um, yeah, and then that morning, it was um, it was the 29th of uh, October, just a sweet, cold morning, very little wind speed. Wind was perfect. I actually thought he was going to be running through this bedding. And when I say he, I just mean a, a buck. I just thought the bucks were going to be running through this um, bedding thicket that was on the edge of. And um, he actually came in the opposite way that I thought he was going to, but he was pushing doe. So he was on a, he was on a doe and a fawn and um, just, you couldn't root it up any better. He just came, came right in front of me about 20 yards. I drew back on him, couldn't get a shot. I ended up letting down and his doe kind of slipped into my strong side um, of my saddle side of my tree. And, um, and then I waited for him to come out behind this tree that he was behind. And he came out about 10 yards, just stopped broadside, just, just demolished hard shot him and just went 30 yards and died man that's the kind of stuff you live for that's fantastic it was was insane yeah i was so when did when did the adrenaline dump happen was it was it right then and there or was it after you realized which deer this was yeah yeah it was i didn't even realize what deer it was because i saw i saw it drop and um I knew it was dead, but I was like, it was such a beautiful morning. I didn't want to like rush anything. I just wanted to enjoy it. You know, I just sat in my stand and enjoyed it probably for another hour. And then um, I went up and got my family because I knew the deer was dead. Um, even while my way out, I just classed in to make sure it was dead. And I just, you know, 
I purposely did not look at the rack with my binoculars because I was like, I'm gonna get my family, my my two and a half year old, my newborn, and my and my wife, and let's, let's do a blood trail here. And um, yeah, so when I walked up on it, it was like, I mean, I think my words were just no freaking way, no freaking way, just over and over again. I was like, there's no way I killed this buck because um, obviously it was number one on the hit list, but I almost wrote it off because I didn't want to get hung up on it. Um, but anyway, what after it all happened pretty quickly. So <clears throat> when it happens like that for me, I don't even, I don't even get the shakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the shakes and adrenaline going crazy. If I see that deer coming in from far, then it's like, I can't even hardly stay still, you know? But for this, it just, plus with filming your hunts, you have to like stay so like kind of like triple focused on everything. You're just like going back and forth between everything. Funny story. I didn't get this on film because I double pressed the record button. Oh. So I had- I had the I had the I had the whole hunt in well the whole hunt as in the the shot time period uh, all in frame the whole time it's like I have a I have a second angle camera that has me like you see my finger zooming in and like focusing and everything else and and it wasn't even on record so that makes me sick but yeah I'm sure it does (laughs) just one of the many reasons why I haven't (laughs) pursued the whole filming your hunts oh man I can't even tell you how many times I've I've like screwed up so many more times than i than i have on film but but yeah so i, I mean after i shot it i knew it was a, be- a beautiful deer and i and i saw that deer two days before in the morning um actually driving down the road and um i never saw him i saw him in daylight with velvet and then i saw him on trail camera um like once or, or twice before this time i shot him so i knew what he looked like but i didn't know like that much detail of him um, he's a humongous body deer and his racks a little bit taller and a little bit higher and a little bit darker. So when I saw him, uh, on Wednesday, the day before, so I got a cell cam picture on Thursday night, but I saw him Wednesday morning around nine or 10 o'clock driving down the road. And I was like, man, that's, that's a beautiful deer. But again, I didn't know that it was this, I call it the drop time deer or moose nose. He's got a kind of a crazy nose to him. Um, I didn't know it was him. But when I shot him that day, I knew it was the one I saw two days earlier when I was driving down the road. So I was like, that's him. I, or I, that, that's not him. I was like, that, I shot the, told my wife, I think I killed that one that we saw the other day from the car, you know? So, so yeah. Was, that's that's fan, <laughs> fantastic. I mean, you talk about, uh, you talk about icing to the cake on your first year. Pro- there, there's. There's definitely a, a a gratification when you do it on your own place, regardless of how you do it, because there's there's blood, sweat, and tears. It's your home turf. You you grow an attachment to that that's just kind of mm-hmm. hard to describe if you don't have it and do stuff with it yourself. So, uh, congratulations on that. Um, and uh, I'm kind of curious: was Ohio something spur of the moment because you filled your tag when you did, or did you have that planned out ahead of time? Yeah, no, it was completely spur of the moment. Um, we just had a, we just had our second child, you know, five months, five months ago now. So I told myself I wasn't going to do any out of state hunting this year. I usually like trip maybe a week out of state for the last couple couple of years, and um, so I told myself I wasn't going to do any any out of state hunting this year, and um, I was able to uh, convince my wife into letting me go for three days to Ohio. My buddies were already out there. And I tipped him off to a spot that I hunted um, the year before, but didn't have any luck, but it just looked good. I actually went, I went out for raw hunting in Ohio last year and, and got skunked and then went back in late season 
I think it was early January this year. And, um, and it wasn't a very good hunt. It was like nine degrees and there's crunchy snow on the ground. So it was, it was pretty, mm. pretty impossible to kill a deer with a bow out there in those conditions. Um, but I found some good areas. So I tipped them off to that. He went, they went back there. They were out there for a whole week. And, uh, so I had a place to stay. So I kind of was able to be, I had vacation days left, um, because I killed my PA buck in, in late October and I, and I deliberately save a ton of vacation days just so I can take off one, two days a week, pretty much through that whole like October, November mm-hmm. time frame. So I had some vacation days to burn and, and, um, you know, I said, can, can you manage for three days? Let me go for three days. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah. She, she allowed me. She's, she's a good, she's a good woman. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so I drove out there on, um, on Monday, I bought my tag the night before. On Sunday, I drove out there on Monday. Um, left my house at one o'clock in the morning. Got out there on like eight thirty or so. I think I got set up in the stand at nine thirty, ten o'clock. I just was going off a of sheer memory of what I remembered from last last year when I was out there. I was I didn't even I didn't even follow up with e scouting and stuff. It was really quite shoot from the hip. I knew the area I wanted to go to. Um, so I scouted my way in and found found a, a the, this this beautiful hollow with a just a dirt dirt trail running through it. You can tell that's how they get from the two sides of this valley, um, in the timber that is. And um, I set up there um, around. I think I got it fully set up around nine or ten, and um, about twelve o'clock I ended up killing that buck that day on Monday morning. Well, talk about quick and painless. I'm sure your wife didn't uh, didn't mind you being home a little bit earlier than that three day uh, window yeah, that you had allotted. To, yeah, I was able to clean it all out and pack it out and um, and uh, stayed in that night and drove home the next morning. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work. A lot of us <laughs> have a lot. A lot of us have it in our minds that it's going to work that way, and rarely does it does it transpire that way. So, was it this was the the second year that you hunted that general area in Ohio? Uh, sort of. So the, where I went out hunting in the rut was not this area. I, I didn't want to go back to that area, but I went out for late season because I still had a tag in my pocket in Ohio and, um, and found this other spot that I went to. So, um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of funny because I, sometimes I feel like the more time and, 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 and like obsession I put into something, like the more you get thrown out, like I, thrown off like i just stuck to what i knew i just knew this hollow looked awesome when i was back in there in the snow in january and there was tons of rut sign too um and this would have been um november 14th so it was a week later than i went out the year before during the rut Mm -hmm. and um i think it was a little bit better action too for that part of the area at least that's pretty cool so i'm when you did that late season hunt uh last January, I guess that was, you said, would mm-hmm. that have been, um, you said you marked some, some rut sign and stuff that looked interesting. Was, was this all your typical, um, I'm going to call this like your old woodsman style of hunting where you're just putting boot leather down, uh, making notes and, you know, you might've been using your, your smartphone and kind of logging stuff, uh, pins and stuff like that, but you're not doing any kind of trail cameras and, and Intel scouting of, of any sort yeah. on this public land, are you? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah, so when I decided to go out there in late season last year, um, I e-scouted it quite a bit, so I knew there there was an old cut. Um, I don't know, maybe this was a mile in. It wasn't that far in compared to what I do in Pennsylvania. But um, 
uh, anyhow, yeah. So there was an old cut down there, and uh, I knew I wanted to go see that. Um, when I, when I, um, it's stupid, but when I went out in late season last year, I drove all the way out there, put a decent amount of time into figuring out, but also was you know not nearly as much time as I put into like the rut hunt when I went out there. I pre scouted in, in March for the rut hunt and stuff like that. But this spot I went went into blind besides me scouting. But when I got there last year and um in in uh late season, I literally got out of my truck and started getting dressed and realized that I forgot my pack. So my pack has my saddle, my um platform, my sticks, my knife, I have mm. my warm weather gear. Like it was like devastating. I was like, I just drove six hours and I don't have my pack. What I did have is my boots, some of my warm weather gear, and my bow. So I'm like, all right, so I'm here. What am I going to do with this situation? Am I going to am I gonna try boom because I don't have my saddle gear? Or am I going to go try to try to figure this out for a couple of days? That's exactly what I did. So I think with that in mind, I was like more loose, kind of thinking like it's going to be a long shot if I kill something. I almost was just scouting around with my bow in my hand, and I was able to find um, – uh, yeah, good rut sign and, and tons of rubs and, and get some visual on on when when I e scout something, it almost rarely looks like what it is when I show up there. So it's know. amazing. Like you talk with people, and everybody's got a different philosophy on e scouting. Um, I've done my fair share of it. I know people who, <clears throat> when they're when they're talking about it, I think it's probably very geography based, right? Where you'll have guys that say, you know, I can look at these features and look at this topo map and and look at the aerial imagery and I can be 90% confident that this is the area that I want to be because they've got all these features and I suspect that there's going to be bedding at this spot and yada 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 and <clears throat> there's people that are really good at that and then you get yeah. guys like me who <clears throat> I look at maps and I'm looking for where edges come together I'm looking for some of those features but yeah. A lot of the time, it's boot leather and seeing if what I perceive on the maps is anywhere close. And I'm going to say maybe 50% of the time it yeah. mirrors what I expected, but 50% of the time it's not, and I have to adjust. I completely agree with that, 100%. Yeah, because um, most, of, most of the public land hunting I hunt in Pennsylvania, it was – the good spots were found mostly from scouting. Like I don't even look at the I don't even look at the map anymore because I've hunted it so much that like now I just I just go to places that I haven't been before. Like in that general area. Now I just walk to the places that I just want to learn, you know, but I barely even look at the map, you know. Um now I looked at the map first time before I went in there and like you said, maybe fifty percent of it was accurate to what I believed it to be in my head. But um yeah, it's, it's definitely... I, I struggle with that all the time because I'm like, okay, am I missing something? You know, you, you, right. you listen to other really experienced deer hunters and you're talking about all these thing, things and features. And I think, am I missing something or <clears throat> is there just that many differences in the areas that I'm hunting versus the areas that those hunters are hunting? Let's just, let's just, uh, just, let's just say the Midwest. Let's just compare it somewhere from that 
Missouri on up through and up maybe even up into Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, some of those places like is the, the types of big woods hunting in Pennsylvania. Like, yeah, we've got those points and those features, but it's so monotonous and it's, uh, the pressures are different. Like are are there factors that are influencing it, making it a little bit trickier than it's led to believe, or am I just hearing things that make me think it sounds easier than it is at e-scouting or am I just truly missing something? I'm just not that good at e-scouting. I haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't know, man. I mean, half of the good spots that we found, you wouldn't see on the map anyway. Not even, not even a topographical detail, but just, just, a um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Looking for a habit, a habitat detail, you know, uh, there's more, uh, thicket here than there is there. And you don't see that on the map. And, you know, oh, that's funny. There's, there's like a scrape line here, but you would have never guessed there'd be a scrape line there, you know? So, I mean, it really does come, you, you, you hear it repeated everywhere, but it really does come down to boots on the ground, you know, or, or you can kind of do, you know, what, you know, let's say like hunting public guys do, like, I don't think they e-scout every time they go on a, on an out-of-state hunt. I think that they're just briefly looking at the map and just putting boots on the ground and figuring it out, you know, for a couple of days. And then, I, I find you know. as much value in that and then going back to the map as I do spending that, yeah. you know, tons. And I often wonder too, like you, you listen to people talk about um, looking at this and looking at that on the map. And one of the things that's really hard to relate to is a lot of the places that I hunt in Pennsylvania are solid oak forests. Mm. So <clears throat> you get a good acorn crop, You've got a monotonous sea of food supply, and it's really, really hard to pinpoint, okay, is this going to be predicted travel? Because, I mean, there's there's places where it's thick cover, and, you know, it, it might not be um, as predictable of a, of a movement setup. You know, there, there's so many factors like it. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of curious. I wanted to ask you, you, the, the buck that you killed in Ohio, you said you, you're hunting in relationship to a chop off and you went to that area that had good rut sign the previous year. So that was still there, obviously. So, you know, looking back on it, you know, I know this was kind of a short hunt, but do you think that chop off is what played into making that area good? Was it the lack of pressure? Like, was it, just a, a was there a good acorn crop in there that area or was there was there food that held deer that made it or was it just the fact that you were in a in a feature that just funneled deer movement in a generally good area yeah i think it would be the latter of them you know the the feature um i always i still struggle with you hear so many people talk about like rut funnels and funnels and this that and other thing um and i think it's because i'm always kind of looking too hard for something like i'm looking for something very defined um, in this case, um, it's easy to go, it's easy to look back now and say I made the right decision because Always I killed, is. <laughs> yeah, cause I killed a deer there. But, um, but I think there's been plenty of other times where I would have made the same decision and maybe, maybe not have seen anything too off of what I, uh, saw. But in this case, as I was walking in, um, there was, uh, I was, uh, there was, a, actually a fresh logging road that I didn't even know about. Um, they actually did a cut, very fresh cut, not in the area I was hunting, but out further. I didn't, I don't even know. I, I would love to go back and explore it, see where this cut was, but I'm fresh, fresh. I mean, just like you're walking through it and your boots are getting five sizes the size of your foot because all the mud is sticking to them, mm. you know. And through that, that was kind of the way down to this hollow there. And um, throughout that mud, I was catching huge tracks and um, and there was a lot of rubs around these big tracks too. 
And I was like, man, I'm not even, I'm not even that far from the truck. I mean, I'm not right next to the parking lot or anything, but I'm not like, I'm not where I wanted to be, but I'm seeing all the sign. I'm thinking, man, this is, do I just set up here? Like there's some fresh, big rubs, monster tracks. Like there was a big buck, no doubt within the last 24 hours where I'm standing, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, so I kind of got hung up on that a little bit and, um, I almost wanted to set up there and I actually ended up messaging uh, Johnny Stewart, uh, not a, not a close friend of mine by any means, but we communicate on the, on Instagram and stuff here and there. And uh, I kind of just described that, Hey, this isn't where, where I was planning on setting up. I want to get down in this hollow more. There's like good sign here. Like any, and he just responds back and says, yeah, but do you think it's a day of daytime sign? I'm like, eh, probably not. (laughs) You know, like, probably not going to catch a mature deer here in the daytime. So I'm like, yeah, keep on walking. So then I got down in, into that, into that hollow. And, um, I wouldn't say it would be a rut funnel at all. It was a really a flat bottom hollow is a, is kind of a, kind of a, a point of many or the bottom of many, many big Hills. If you ever hunt strip country, uh, Ohio, it's just mm-hmm. crazy, crazy terrain. Um, but the trail that I was sitting up, over was um that whole valley was a few hundred feet wide it wasn't like it wasn't like a v where i was sitting you know what i'm saying but the only reason i chose to sit there is because it was like a goat path through the center of this valley and and when i say center i'm talking like it's very flat on either side of this dirt path but ran down the one side of the hill and then up the other side of the hill into that old cutover now that cutover is like I don't know, probably 10 years old or so. So it's just like filled of whips and stuff like that. You almost can't even penetrate it. You know, so I was hunting the edge of that on a heavy trail going through that valley. Um, I was sitting, sitting on the downwind side of that uh, trail, if you will, um, thinking that they're probably going to come out of that cut and go down that trail. I didn't really have a good reason to why they'd be going over back kind of in the direction that I came, but obviously it was a heavy trail and a heavy cover in front of me. <clears throat> so, you know, that, that was what I based it off of. Um, I didn't want to, I, I, it was quite literally one of those times it was like, just don't think too hard about it. Just, just get set up and set up here. And I was going to do a full day sit there. And then, um, 12 o'clock noon, a buck came running in, um, not where I was, would expect he was almost like skirting the, um, side of that cut instead of coming through it and he ran in behind me and, and what happened is i believe he was smelling the hot dough that was um about 200 yards behind me which i didn't even know was there because i was facing facing the cut the valley was behind me the trail was to my left of me as i'm sitting in my saddle um so he went up and found that hot dough and a buck um, a little bit bigger than him and that bigger buck just kept on pushing him off and pushing him off and then they were kind of just just playing grab grab ace all up on that hill behind me but you know about 100 200 yards away but i knew in the back of my head that this is like one of their main highways that goes into that let's call it security cover mm-hmm. and that doe wasn't wasn't too pleased with the two bucks in there you know, so the, the bigger one kept on chasing the little one off. And then, then the uh, bigger one would just book after the doe and they would run a hundred feet that way, a hundred feet this way, you know, just typical, beautiful rut stuff that you love to see. And then before, you know, before too long, I think it was probably about a half hour. I watched that kind of activity. 
that doe came right up that trail. She wanted to get into that cut over that security cover. And, um, and the buck did almost the same thing. It pushed the little one off. He stayed down in that valley. And then, um, and then he actually ended up coming even closer to me than that dirt trail. Cause I was almost about 30 yards off that dirt trail. Cause there wasn't very good trees there to pick from. And he always came up right under me and I just, and I shot at 10 yards under my tree. I mean, why, why he got led up right under my tree. That was just by the grace of God. I don't know, but, uh, but kind of worked out as I, as, as I planned, I guess you would say, but. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, <clears throat> and first of all, that's an awesome story. I love the way you approached it. You didn't overthink it. You just went with what you knew and then just enjoyed hunting. I think that's great. Cause so many of us, myself i'm I'm speaking for myself right now overthinking it like i i did a i did a hunt in uh, new jersey where i was i was mainly focused on trying to shoot a bear this this okay. year on this on this hunt but i had whitetails in the back of my mind and so many places that i just <clears throat> overthought you know how yeah. do i want to hunt this how do i want to approach this still hunting or stand hunting and and it like sometimes it's like you gotta not allow that to consume you or you're just going to drive yourself nuts mentally and just go out and have yeah. fun to some degree. I mean, yeah. you want to be strategic and, and, and have that game, but at the same time you have to accept the fact that the deer are going to do what the deer are going to do. And you have to also have a, a, a little bit of luck get involved. Um, yeah. One thing I also, um, is kind of a cool part of that story too, is like where those deer, well, um, you know, I always get all kind of uh, stressed about my ground set and stuff like that. But like in this case, like, I wasn't that stressed about it because I was like, what do I got to lose? You know, it's the rut. I got three days. Like, I'm not going to, like, freak out over that kind of stuff. Well, that doe and that um, bigger buck that I ended up shooting, and I say bigger buck, it was just bigger out of those two. It was probably a two-year-old eight-point. It wasn't anything huge, but nice deer uh, for sure. But um, he, um, they came from, they ended up coming from the direction that I came in on and, and most certainly would have walked over my scent trail. Now, obviously it was the rut. They weren't, you know, so on, on, on the cue to smell human scent on the ground, but like, that's the kind of stuff that I'll start overthinking and start being like, ah, I can't sit up here because I just walked down that trail or something like that. Now I purposely avoided that heavy trail, but I crossed that heavy trail to come up to sit where I was, you know? So, um, so just, yeah, like you said, sometimes you just get in your, in your head and just overthink it too much, you know? You gotta be, you gotta be smart and strategic, but also you can't be like, you gotta know that nothing's ever gonna be perfect. Like there's gonna be ground scent there, you know. Like okay, well if I'm in a good spot, then let's let that be that margin of error in the, in the system, and, and hopefully that doesn't screw them up too bad, you know. And, and I think one thing that we should really highlight here is how well do you know the piece of public land that you're going in after on the hunts? And, and I say this rhetorically because. Um, it's easy when you're really fresh to an area to have those things over, like you just completely overthink them because you don't know what, what the best situation is as far as bedding to food and where the de expected deer movement is. So you, I think that's for me when I drive myself the most nuts is like, okay, I think this looks the best. Um, is this going to hurt me if I walk here or not? Like when you hunt an area repeatedly and you kind of figure out where the better access is over time, that, that's different. Like, like yeah. um, for me, I, I think like when I, uh, when I go to camp and I'm hunting a new area, like I, I try to turn it off to a degree. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to hunt smart. I'm hunting the wind, I'm hunting this, yeah. but I, I have to take it as 
there's a good chance I'm going to screw something up, but hopefully I've done my due diligence up until this point that I'll still learn something and take it yeah. for the next time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one, uh, one private land buck this year, one public land buck using some similar tactics. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the stupid social media question that, that, uh, you, that so many people would ask on this, but it's, it's fresh. It's relevant. We were just talking about social media here before we, uh, before we started this, but <clears throat> did one of those bucks, one of those two bucks matter more to you? Did the public land buck matter more to you than the private land buck? Or did the private land buck mean more to you than the public land buck? I know, stupid question, but I, I'd be curious to see how what your, your thoughts are because you know that rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, man, they were both such cool hunts, and I hope I didn't downplay them at all by, like, telling my story. I've told them. Um, was talking to Char- Charlie the other day, like just kind of told all this stuff. So like, hopefully I had the same amount of enthusiasm and stuff like that. I don't want the audience to think that like, oh man, he didn't even sound like he was that thrilled about that. I was absolutely thrilled about uh, both these deer. I mean, it crazy. I mean, I feel like I did a lot of things right, but also, like I said, like you said, luck's got to be on our side. It always, always is with deer hunting. Um, Unless you're Johnny yeah. Stewart, he doesn't believe in luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he's a heck of a woodsman too. He is. But um, he just runs them down, though. He just been chasing them down this week. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I'll say. But um, I would say, um, just to answer your question, I'll kind of break it down a little bit more. Uh, the big, the big buck that I killed at my home farm meant more to me um, because I put in so much energy and time um, and thought into into hunting this property this year. Um, but Ohio was just so cool because um, I just went in there, uh, not taking it too seriously, um, just just used my quote unquote woodsman skills, and um, and and it just it, it worked out perfectly. Again, luck totally was on my side there too. But um, I don't know. I, my buddy asked me in the beginning of the year before I killed my my deer. He said almost the same question you said. Um, he said, would you rather kill 150 on private or a hundred inch deer on public? And I told him 150 inch deer on private (laughs) because hundred inch deer, uh, is, uh, is, I feel like pretty attainable. I think if you, if you put in some work, you can kill hundred inch deer. Now, if it was a 150 on private and 130 on public, I don't know. I, 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 it, it depends. It all depends on the hunt. You know what I'm saying? Like I would, my standards are not as high as they will be here on my private land when I go and hunt on these public pieces and, um, and not saying I'll, I'll like, I probably all that to say that I probably would shoot hundred, hundred inch, 110 inch buck on these, um, uh, public land hunts that I go on just because such an adventure mm-hmm. like it was, it's just really you get to pack your deer out you, you just like it's you're, you're in the middle of nowhere it's just you're just it's a, a lot goes into that too so that that can be really special as well um so i don't know i don't know if that helped answer i don't know if that answered your question or not but in my case this big this big buck i killed my home farm was pretty special my first time here and uh obviously 
the biggest buck in the neighborhood probably too. It, it absolutely answers my question, but it's one of those things where you can go on and on forever about it. I mean, yeah. because like that whole rhetorical, would you rather 150 on private or a hundred inch on public? Like, I'm going I'm to be the first to say there's a lot of people who talk big that I would rather shoot a hundred inch deer on public than a 150 inch deer on private land. But mm-hmm. like we're, we're speaking so rhetorically, like you cannot put yourself into that situation and really yeah. understand or know what it's like. And I, I actually don't know how many of those people know how big 150 inch deer is. Like, yeah. like if, if you truly put yourself in those shoes and those situations that you could actually know and experience it, I would really like to then ask that same question and say, would you still rather shoot that 110, 100 inch deer on public versus 150? I mean, that, right. that's just kind of a little bit of a rant, but we yeah. kind of, I kind of go back to what we we're saying before and what you were alluding to on your public. It's there's more to it than the size of the antlers. The, the size oh, yeah. of the antlers are awesome, but <clears throat> the the pursuit of your 150 50 on private land there is a different story to that that led up to that that makes it just as gratifying as yeah. the, the the story leading to your 100-inch deer on, on public land. And at the end of the day, we can all make justifications and come up with all these philosophies. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to do what I want to do. And if, yeah. Tro- if Troy doesn't like it, that's fine. Troy doesn't have to like it. But it's what mm-hmm. I want to do, what makes me happy, and vice versa. And, and that's just open-ended like I'm, I'm just i'm just amazed at how much of the the back and forth finger pointing we get amongst guys and i mean it's healthy to a degree because uh competition is is healthy it makes you a better person to agree but it can also bring out the worst in you yeah yeah and i mean it for me it all revolves around the experience you know what i'm saying and i'm I, mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm not the kind of guy that's uh you know, if if you want to if you want to say I'm going to hold out for a big buck this year, and then end of November rolls around, and you decide to shoot a smaller buck, dude, go for it. <laughs> like like whatever, like whatever makes you happy. You know what I'm saying? But but it's all about the experience. So like, there's so many ways you could for- put that question. Would I rather shoot a uh, 120 inch buck with a rifle during a deer drive on public land, like? Or a private, private uh, one hundred and forty or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. Like that's that's way different to me. I'm not. We don't have to answer that question. But that's way different to me than than um, than you just can't you just can't neck it down and it, it's so it's so situational. You know it, it, exactly. That's you answered. You said the perfect words. It's so situational and it's different for everybody. Yeah. You know, we get into the 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 private land deer hunting and the, the, the deer shaming or the size of this and the justifications, like it's different for everybody. My, my antler standards where I hunt are different than yours. And guess what? It's okay if they're different. It doesn't matter that they're different. It, right. it, it doesn't – and as long as I don't impose what I want on you and vice versa, we can live our lives and do our, our things hunting. Like it's just, it's just yeah. amazing to me how much uh, BS there goes on in, in, in that area right now. And I don't know if it's just because of social media. I don't know if it's because of just what the hunting industry has done for the last umpteen years in, in video hunting. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just human nature. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's, um, it's, it's, it's always situational. Like, 
like I killed that big one this year, but next year I'm going back to my goal of hopefully trying to just kill a three or four year old in my house here. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to, as much as we'd like to think it, you can't, you can't hold deer or manage deer too well on 50 acres when you have your neighbors that hunt too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the deer that was on my property this year, uh, a lot got killed three and a half miles from here which is crazy because it's pretty, you know, residential. It's not like the mountains where they can just run a, run a mountain out three and a half miles. It's he's crossing major roads. So it's like, you know, you just never know. So just, just hunt and do what makes you happy. You know, it's, it's all, it's all there is to it. Yeah. It's like we said a few weeks ago with, uh, with Jeremy and Dimitri from Antler Up podcast, just, uh, cut the crap and enjoy the hunt. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, Man, hey, I've uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your sharing your story, sharing hunting hunting experiences this year, um, sharing this philosophy, and most importantly, I, I was I'm really um, really honored for you to share uh, share your faith story with us in the beginning of this, and and how much that means. So, um, again, thanks for hopping on. Um, sure. Thanks you uh, thank you for being so. Uh, uh, forthright in all that because that's that's big because at the end of the day man we get fired up about white tails we get fired up about hunting but there's a lot bigger things to talk about than uh than that yeah i know we um we didn't even discuss about even even going there with this podcast so um yeah i know that was a little little uh maybe surprising to some people so surprising to us too <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it's led but hey um anything you want to leave us with yeah, no, not, not much. Um, hopefully, I'll have a couple videos. Come, uh, I'll have that Ohio buck on video, so that'll that'll I'll try to post that within the next couple weeks here, and um, I'll probably try to put together the bits and pieces video of my uh, big buck kill. But as I disclosed earlier, <laughs> get it on film. But I did film like the recovery and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so I'll probably try to put something together for that. Um, but other than that, yeah, just enjoy it, have fun, enjoy God's creation. You know, if you don't. Uh, if you uh, think you think you're a little bit lost and maybe looking for something, maybe maybe reach out if you're hearing this, and uh, maybe me or Mitch can help lead you in the right direction. Absolutely, and I've said that before. You know, you, anybody can reach out to me. Um, you know, social media or email. Um, Troy, if people want to follow along with you, what's a what's a good way to follow along, or is that going to continue uh, based on what we were talking about earlier? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can follow me at DTRX underscore outfitters um that's just a play on my last name Dietrich. um but anyway i have a little at-home bow shop and, and work on some bows and stuff like that so that's what that account started as i don't do any outfitted hunts or anything like that um but you can follow me there that's my same handle on uh youtube as well um but i'll probably be getting off uh instagram and facebook here shortly i run a, a big buck contest as well we didn't talk about that but during the uh during the the hunting season so once we put that uh, all to bed and get the last uh, final raffles done, then I'll probably be off social media here for a while. But um, maybe I'll try to check my messages just in case anyone tunes into this here. But absolutely, but, uh, just yeah. just enjoy it, you know. Yeah, we we didn't talk about that big buck contest because we didn't want to mention that it's rigged. Troy just shoots the big ones on his place now. <laughs> I got second place, and the first place was a public land buck. Yeah, nice. Like One hundred fifty-five something change nice so nice good. nice what did your score by the way uh 153 and some change that's a heck of a deer i know heck it's, of a deer it was incredible yeah yeah good deal hey let's wrap this up man thanks again yep no problem